Chronicles tonight, 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 28, 1 Chronicles chapter 28, I want to uh, talk about something that's on my heart, and I realize what the evangelist preached Sunday night could coincide a little bit with this, but I want to talk about this from a church perspective, and uh, Let's go a little further with it. Praise God. First Chronicles chapter number 28 and verse 10. Take heed now. For the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Just do it. Nike didn't come up with that. God said it first or David said it. An inspiration from God. Then David gave to Solomon his son, the pattern of the porch and of the houses thereof and of the treasuries thereof and of the upper chambers thereof and of the inner parlors thereof and of the place of the mercy seat. Everybody said, and of the place of the mercy seat. And the pattern of all that he had by the Spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord and all the chambers round about of the treasuries of the house of God and of the treasuries of the dedicated things. But I want to look at verse 11 again. It said, And David gave to Solomon. Of course, we know the story. God did not allow David to do what his heart desired to do, and that was to build a temple, a house to God. He said, uh, Other nations have temples and places of worship to their pagan gods. And my God dwells in a tent. I think it's only fitting that we build him a house. But God said, you have too much blood on your hands. He said, you're not going to build it because you've been a man of war. But your son is going to be a man of peace, and he's going to be allowed to build it. So David immediately began to make plans. He got the blueprints. He got everything in order. Set everything up. Got all the materials necessary to do it. And then he tells him here in these verses of Scripture, he gives to Solomon his son, the pattern of the porch and of the house thereof and of the treasuries thereof and of the upper chambers thereof and of the inner parlors thereof and of the place of the mercy seat. I, I want to I just talk for a little while if the Lord will help us tonight from this subject. A place for mercy. A place for mercy. Of all the designations of the house of God, there was a specific place designed in that house, mercy was not forgotten. Amen? Even in this age of law that this house was built in, uh, even there was in that dispensation, if you want to say it that way, in that time period, in that age, in that era, there was still, during that time, a place for mercy. Praise the Lord. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us here tonight. We certainly need God's help in this place. Jesus, we're asking you to help us in this house and anoint us with your holy anointing. I'm asking you to speak through me as an oracle of God tonight to this beautiful congregation of people that's gathered here. I pray, Lord, that you would help our ears to be anointed to receive and to hear. Help this word to find a, a fertile soil in our hearts, God, and it would grow and be fruitful in us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And let's clap our hands for him again. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. 
remember by reading the Word of God that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and our church represents in a physical structure a place where we come to meet God. We understand that He's not in the mortar, He's not in the sheetrock, He's not in the carpet or the pew, or necessarily does He just inhabit this building, but He inhabits the praise of His people. And we need a place in our lives and in this church. When I speak about the church, again, I'm not just talking about this physical structure, but I'm talking about the people that are involved here. We need a place in this church for the mercy of God. Can you say amen? David is speaking to his son Solomon in these verses of Scripture that I read to you tonight. He said, I'm going to give you a plan. It's a specific plan. I've worked hard. Uh, to develop it, I've got all of the uh, forethought. God has directed me as to how this house is to be designed. I'm going to give you all the details of this building and how that it's to be planned out and how it's to be built. Everything is to be built specifically to order. Then when you build this temple uh, on Mount Moriah, the Bible says that when they did so, that there was not the sound of a hammer or a steel of iron. They took it to the rocks that they chiseled out, uh, the beams that they hewed out. All of the materials were prepared and made. Some were made in a quarry uh, where they uh, came together and they chiseled out these stones because at the temple site there was not to be any sound of hammer or steel, sound of the steel of iron. Everything was prepared before it ever arrived there. It was planned out specifically, and uh, it was to fit precisely together. It didn't have to be reconstructed, didn't have to cut anything, didn't have to trim anything, didn't have to fix anything, didn't have to get a tube of caulking out and try to make something fit or to repair anything, but it was a perfect blueprint that was handed down to King Solomon. It was a perfect plan, just like God has a perfect plan for your life, my life, your home, uh, for your church, for this church, for our church, and it's very precise, and it's very detailed, and uh, it fits together. When the Bible talks about the body of Christ, it says it uh, comes joint and fit together. And uh, it is uh, firmly fit together. Everything is to work in harmony with one another. God has a plan, and a specific plan for each one of us. Yet David said, in all the things that I want you to make a special place for, and he lists them, he said, I want you to make room uh, for the altar, going to be a place that's going to be the most prominent piece of furniture even in the tabernacle. It was the largest piece of furniture. Uh, before you could go any further, it was right there in the entrance of the uh, tabernacle courtyard. You couldn't go around it. You couldn't ignore it. You couldn't act like it didn't exist. It was the most imposing piece of furniture of all other pieces of furniture that was there. And it was even more imposing when they built the temple. Why? Because prayer is still an important part of the church. Amen. The Lord said, 
when he walked the face of this earth, when he came to the temple to clean it out of its money changers, he said, this is to be called the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. He said, priority is there's to be prayer here. This is going to be the most predominant activity that takes place is prayer and praise to God. So when David is passing down the order, the work order, if you will, for Solomon to build this temple unto God, he said, make sure you make everything according to design and there's going to be a place for the altar. And I'm not going to mention every, every one of these, but I'm just... I'm just saying this so that I can parallel here the fact that prayer is still important to the church. We still, it still needs to be the most predominant activity that happens within these four, four walls. When we come, we need to pray and we need to worship and get a hold of God. We need His Spirit to move among us. Can you say amen? He said, I want you to make the entry, the porches to the design, the plan. Uh, the precision that I have laid out to the pattern. You notice here he uses the word pattern. There's already a pattern set here. And uh, we know that there's still only one entry into the kingdom of God. And that is the new birth experience. You can't get around that. It's always been the same. It's the pattern of the word of God. It's always been there. It's always going to be there. Praise the Lord. You can't change it. You can't whitewash it. You can't say that it don't exist, you can't act like it's not there, but Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 5, you must be born again of the water and of the Spirit if you're going to see the kingdom of God. Amen. If you're going to enter into the kingdom of God, if you're going to enter into the presence of God as we know it, you're going to need to be born again. Praise God. He said make room for the treasury, the storehouses. Amen. We need to keep a hold of the things that God has done for us in the past. We don't need to let go of those things. We, we need to remember the pit from which we were dug. We need to thank God for the blessings along the way. We need to always, you know, God was big into his people remembering things. He said, I want you to put some memorials. Uh, he said, I want you to put some on yonder side of Jordan. He said, while you're crossing, I want you to put 12 stones in the middle of Jordan. And I've often thought, why in the middle of Jordan would he place, have them placed in stones there? But uh, history proves out that there were many times when Jordan would run really low and uh, those stones would protrude out of the middle of the Jordan, which was representative of the fact that those children of Israel had passed over through that way on dry ground. There's going to be low times in your life when you're going to need to look up and see what God has done for you in the past and say, I thank God that He delivered me and I thank God that He answered that prayer and I thank God that He worked that out for me. And I, I praise the Lord because He did it then. He can do it now. Praise God. So we need to have a, a special place in the church. And when I say again the church, I'm talking about us. In our minds and hearts, there needs to be room in our lives that we can still remember the powerful past and the things. We don't need to necessarily live there and dwell there, but our past will help us to progress on into the future as a testimony of what God can do for us. He said, I want you to make room for the dedicated things, and there's got to be something sacred about the house of God, even this physical structure. I, it kind of turns something over in me when I see people having a lackluster attitude about the house of God. I mean, this is not a place where you come in and just uh, uh, treat it any old way. Amen. 
First of all, it took a lot of sacrifice to uh, buy uh, these furnitures and fixtures and, and uh, put the carpet on the floor and pad on the pews and paint on the walls. And so I don't want it to be abused. I, I want to treat it right because this is where I come and I meet my God. This is where I come and I worship my Lord. Hallelujah. There needs to be a sacredness about the house of God. And then he said, I want you to make a special place uh, and a room for the priest and the Levites. And I'm going to tell you, in every one of our lives, there needs to be, including uh, us that are preachers, there still needs to be a special place in our hearts for the priest and the Levites. And what I mean by that is the ministry. There's got to be a special place in your heart if you're going to be saved. Bible says you're going to be saved by the foolishness of preaching. There's got to be an ear that is always open to hear the preaching of the Word of God. You've got to have a preacher in your life, and you've got to have a special place in your heart towards preaching. Somebody say, I love the truth, but I hate preachers. Well, I don't believe you can be saved. You, you can't love the message and hate the messenger. Hallelujah. Praise God. But it's, uh, the Bible says, beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. Oh, I thank God for a preacher that preached to me. I thank God for a, a man of God that was able to tell me the truth. And uh, in my prayers often, I do this often, I thank God for uh, men of God in my life, different stages of my life uh, that were uh, pastor to me or maybe an evangelist that came by at a strategic time in my teenage years and preached and helped me to get on fire for God again. So there has to be a special place. But he said, I want you of all these things that you make a special place for, he said, I want you to make certain in all that you do that you make a special place for the mercy seat. I want you to make a special place for mercy in all of the house that's been built. And the Bible said it was exceedingly magnificent. I mean, it was a structure to behold. When you looked around, every part of it was beautiful. But he said, there's going to be a special place in that. And we're going to designate this. This is where the mercy seat is going to be. Amen. We need a special place always in all that we do. And there's a lot of different facets of the church. There's a lot of different things that work together to make a great apostolic church. It's not just one dimensional. There's several. Uh, this is a, uh, a prism that you can look at and you can see all kinds of different things that make it up. Praise the Lord. This is, uh, this is kind of a a jewel that you can walk around and you can get a different angle and, and you see the beauty from a different perspective every time. And, and uh, so uh, we, we, we view the church and, and the things of God in a special way, but in all that goes into the church and all that takes place in the church, the worship, the prayer, uh, the evangelism, the, the, the preaching of the Word of God and that place that it has in our life, which is very important in all of these things still mercy has to have a place in the church a special place for a church to be successful for a church uh, to grow for a church to be able to really affect people's lives and to change people's lives it has to have mercy working in it in the message that it preaches there has to be mercy in that message amen the Bible talks about truth and mercy working together. Amen. It actually said in one place, and, and uh, I'm not quoting it verbatim, but they kissed one another. Amen. They come in harmony with one another. If you have one without the other, you're not in balance. 
But there has to be a place that truth and mercy can work together to transform people's lives. Can you say amen? I heard a, I heard a humorous story about University of Texas and Texas A&M have their annual football uh, showdown. And uh, 70,000 fans gathered uh, for the, the big showdown. But leading up to the game, the star quarterback from A&M, he, he just wasn't too sharp. And, uh, and they didn't know if he was going to be able to make the grades to be able to play. You know, they got to keep a certain grade point average. And so they was really worried about their star quarterback and knew they couldn't win the game without him. So they decided, the uh, people got together and decided regents of the college or whatever said we're going to we're going to make a special exam for our star quarterback and uh, in fact it's going to be given to him on exam day or, or on game day we're going to give him this exam in front of the seven, 70,000 plus fans that are there and we're going to give him tutors make sure he passes this and make sure uh, and we're going to give him the test in advance where he'll know the answers and everything, but he'll have to do it on game day before the game starts in front of all the fans. And so there's just going to be three questions on the exam. And so they got him out there in front of everybody. And uh, uh, everybody's anticipating what's going to happen. They don't want this star player to not be able to play. And they said, uh, first question on the exam, sir, said, uh, what's two plus two? Yeah. Four. Everybody's cheering, everybody's clapping, everybody's having a good time. And I uh, said, question number two is a little more difficult now. And I want you to think about it. Don't, 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 don't answer without thinking about it. Really be careful here that you say the right thing because you ain't going to be able to play if you miss one of these. You've got to have 100% on these three questions. And they said, three plus three. And he said, boy, he said, uh, six. And everybody erupted and cheered and had a big celebration. Finally, they said, uh, we got one last question now. I want you to really think about it carefully. He said, uh, three plus four. He said, oh, Lord. He said, he said, this is the one I struggled with so hard. And uh, I just, uh, I, I never could get it right. And I remember that, uh, and he's breaking out in cold sweat. And uh, he's nervous. And, and he said, uh, seven. And the whole entire stadium of those Aggie fans erupted, clapping, saying, Give him another chance! Give him another chance! Give him another chance! You know what mercy is? It's when God, when we don't deserve it, stands in the balconies of heaven, looks down at us when we've done nothing to be worthy of it, and says, Give him another chance. Amen. Help him out, lend him a hand. Give them another opportunity. Let them come down to the altar and get it right. Praise the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant was uh, a God box, if you want to say it that way, where the presence of the Lord in, in type dwelled. He dwelt between the cherub. It's a type of the presence of the Lord. And in that box, there were several different things. Of course, uh, there was the rod of Aaron that had budded. You know the story of how the people uh, all were vying for this position of who was going to lead them spiritually. And God said, I'll, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to take all of these sticks of these different men and you bring them into my presence and lay them down in my presence. And the, the one that buds 
He said, that is the one, that old dry stick that has been cut off from its root and has no life source. He said, that, that one that buds just like it was still hooked on to the vine. He said, that's the man that I have chosen to lead my people spiritually and uh, represent them in the presence of the Lord. And so it was Aaron that his rod was chosen. Not only did it uh, bud, but it bare almonds. And, and uh, this happened overnight. It didn't just happen uh, in the process of time, but it was miraculous. How did it happen overnight? I, I thought about that and how that uh, our lives sometimes can seem unfruitful. Our lives can sometimes seem dried up and seem like the blessing of God is not there. But uh, when they laid it on the mercy seat in the presence of the Lord, uh, the Bible said that it budded and it bare almonds and it was fruitful. I'm going to tell you, if, you, if you're not being fruitful in your life and your life is not blessed, maybe you need to check and see if you're uh, exemplary, an example of mercy. Maybe you don't have enough mercy in your attitude and in your spirit and the way that you live. Maybe, maybe you need to examine yourself and make sure that you've got a little bit of mercy in your spirit because that's what's going to bring fruitfulness. That's what's going to bring blessing. That's what will take something that's dried up and bring life back to it. Can you say amen? Then there was, of course, the pot of manna, which represented the provision of God. And then there was the Ten Commandments, which was the law of God. And that was on the inside, but there was this covering. There was this covering. It was the mercy seat that was on top of this. Mercy was on top of the law. And this is where that priest would bring that blood, and he would pour it out there uh, in between these cherubs. Could I have a couple of people help me real quick? Brother Brandon, uh, Brother, uh, Brother Hayes, come here. I don't know if we can get this done, but I'm going to try to. You guys look like angels, fallen angels, right over, right over here, okay, stretch this hand out, okay, this is where the mercy seat was, this is where the presence of God dwelt, now their heads, they weren't looking at one another, but they were looking down at the mercy seat. And this is all symmetrically in unity with one another. And these wings of the angels brushed one another and came together and touched one another here. And then the presence of the Lord dwelt in between them, in the middle of this, in the middle of mercy, if you could say it that way. Praise the Lord. You know what brought unity to these two? is because they was looking through mercy at one another. They weren't looking at one another necessarily, but they were looking down through the mercy of God. That's how they came in contact and in unity with one another. That's how they came together. I'm going to tell you, a church, you guys can be seated. A church can never get together by only looking at one another's faults, looking straight on at one another and the handicaps and the inconsistencies and the blind spots of one another. You've got to look through the mercy of God. We've got to have a place for mercy in the presence of God. If we got mercy here, the presence of God can dwell in the midst of us. 
Praise the Lord. I want the presence of the Lord because in His presence there is fullness of joy. And at His right hand there's pleasures forevermore. Everything I need, it's in the presence of Almighty God. I can't find it anywhere else but in the presence of the Lord that He dwells in the atmosphere of mercy. Praise God. Amen. You know what happens when we get focused on one another and not on God's mercy and on God's goodness and and the blessings of God and how good God has been in the presence of the Lord. You know what happens when we get focused on one another? It breaks that connection. It breaks that unity. And uh, therefore, the presence of God is not able to dwell in our midst. Praise the Lord. I want Him to dwell among us. I said I want Him to dwell among, among us. Our message has to have mercy in it. Praise God. I got another little illustration. I'm, I'm full of them tonight. Amen. They told me I had to sing. This made me mad. I wanted everybody to be involved tonight. I want all these fellows that I asked to help me to come up here tonight. I, I, I think I recruited half the congregation this evening. Uh, let's go right down here in front. Okay. I may have got too many. Okay, I want four of you guys on this side, shoulder to shoulder, lined up. I believe I do got too many. None of these fellas have been in the military. <laughs> no, they're facing one another. Side by side, shoulder to shoulder. I got one too many. Okay. Okay, I got I got uh, two too many. Two of you guys can sit down. Brother Jay, come here and, and help me out. Huh? You always got to have substitutes. I want to show you something here. Most of us are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. I want, uh, I want Brother... Dan Craig to read verse 3 here in just a moment. Brother Yarborough to read verse 4. Brother Dumdie to read verse 5. Brother Fulst to read verse 6. We're going to skip you, Brother Jay. You're going to read verse 7 and then verse 8. You read. Brother Brandon, I want you to read verse 9. And Brother Fields there, I want you to read verse 10. And Brother Danny, I want you to read verse 11. Okay, let's let's start right here. Brother. Verse three: Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's the first four of these beatitudes that is there, right? Amen. These are the blessings of God. We like to read about this. This is talking about the goodness of God and what God is able to do in our lives. We're going to skip uh, verse 7. There, there's four of these men on this side. We're going to jump over here to verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How many want to see God? Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers. 
for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God, heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Yes. So there's blessing, and there's, there's uh, the good things of God that we're talking about here in these passages of Scripture. If you'll do this, and if you have this kind of spirit, if you kind of have this kind of attitude, then these are the results. These are the blessings of it. But there's, there's four here on one end, and there's four here and right in the middle. These are the two bookends, but right in the middle. Come out here. Mercy. Mercy kind of stands head and shoulders above the rest, doesn't it? Mercy's right here in the middle of all these blessed things, right here in the center of it all in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Right here in the midst of all these blessings that has happened, mercy's right in the middle. If you want the blessings of God in the middle of everything, you better have some mercy in your life. Thank you, brothers. God, if we want to keep God's mercy and goodness in the middle of this church, His blessings upon this church, we better have mercy in the middle of this church. Praise God. Amen. Many, many, many years ago, the Bible, uh, its only translation uh, was into the Latin language. Out of the original language, the only translation that it was translated into was the Latin language. And many of the words were, of course, different, and the phrases were different, and translators actually got some of these uh, really they got them way wrong and during this period of time uh, mostly it was the priest uh, that that read these the common man did not read uh, this particular translation much I'm thankful for the King James Bible I'm thankful we know the word of God and all of us uh, can read the word of the Lord and I appreciate that so much but in that day it was mainly in the Latin translation. Of course, this is during the dark ages when the, uh, the Catholic Church had so much dominion. And uh, so during this period of time, one of the verses of Scripture that they got really off or really wrong and mis misinterpreted was when Moses was coming down off the mountain. And the Bible says, says in the King James that his face shone with the glory of God and they had to, to cover his face. Some of you might remember that. In the Latin Bible, they misinterpreted it, and the Scripture said when Moses came down, he had horns coming out of his head. This was the age of Michelangelo. And some of you might have seen some of the sculptures or the paintings that he painted, and that's not a bad hairdo. That's actually horns that's coming out of his head. Amen. And I got to thinking about that. Why? Why was this allowed, or why did this happen? Because somebody got the wrong translation and made something that wasn't supposed to be that way. And that's what we sometimes do to one another. We hear something, or we think something, or we evilly surmise something, and we get our Latin translation out, and we paint horns on that person's head. Hey Amen. Don't sit there like you don't know what I'm talking about. Amen. We make a little devil out of them. And we, we, we see people 
in one perspective or one way because that's what we have in our mind or that's the, the thought that we have. This is what uh, he had read, so this is what he painted. This is what he understood, so this is what he painted. This is the translation that he had, so this is what he painted. Uh, he painted him with those horns protruding out of his head. We can become conspiracy theorists. We can become evil surmisers. We need to make room for mercy. I said we need to make room for mercy. Praise God. Hallelujah. If I could say it this way, we need to uh, dehorn all those people that we, we, we put and painted in a certain way or we thought to be a certain way or we, we thought uh, that's the way they were. I'm going to tell you, that even happens with people that come in as guests to the church. We can see them coming. I was talking about this a little bit last night in a leadership meeting. You know, we're living in a day and an hour. Sin is so rampant, and, and people's lives are so uh, messed up when they come to God. Uh, I'm going to tell you, folks, if you're waiting for people to have it all together when they come to church, uh, that's not the way it is anymore. Praise God. They're, 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 they're going to have the scars of sin. They're going to have the evidences of, skin, uh, of sin on them. And sometimes it's going to be on their skin. They're going to have all the evidences uh, of, of where they've been and what they've been involved in. They may come in with drug tracks on their forearms. They may come in with obvious uh, drug abuse and alcohol abuse. They may come in and they have the signs of where they've lived and what they've been doing and what kind of lifestyle that they've led before they come here. But we've got to not paint them in a certain way. There's got to be mercy in this place. I said there's got to be mercy in this house. Praise the Lord. If you ain't careful, you get to think, well, I don't want, I don't want, you know, I don't want to accept that. I don't want that. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, we, we're going to... We, the world, the way it's spinning, the way it's going now, it ain't going to be like you want it. And, and people's coming from a long ways. And we've either got to trust God and His Word and the ability of this book, amen, and obedience to it to change people's lives. Come on now. Praise the Lord. They're coming out of prison. They're coming out of uh, abuse. They're coming out of places where they've been abused and their emotions are scarred and and they've been manipulated. I'm telling you, this is a bad world that we're living in. Some of you may have heard on the radio in the last few days the, the big debacle that is taking place with uh, one of the lead coaches at a, at a university that had such a pristine uh, reputation before this last week. And, and to find out that this man that was taking these boys in and he was under the guise of helping them and bringing them up in the world to find out that he was sexually abusing them. That's a disturbing thing to find out that somebody in leadership is manipulating innocent people's lives. I'm going to tell you, where is those boys going to be in life? What's going to happen to them? I'm going to tell you, some, someone like that may come through these doors. Are we going to have enough mercy to minister to them? We're going to have enough concern to try to help them. Praise the Lord. Are we going to brush them off and call them weird and think they're crazy? Amen. Praise the Lord. So, well, I don't know if I want them to be friends with my little Johnny. I'm going to tell you something. When the Holy Ghost changes somebody's life, we've got to believe that it really changes them. Come on, that really changes them. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come think of it. Some of you used to be drug addicts. Some of you used to be alcoholics. Some of you used to be immoral. Some of you didn't have your life all figured out. But you're here tonight because God and His mercy is good. Because there was a place of mercy. Amen. Now, now, uh, a hospital hospital has to bring in people that that have infections. A hospital has to bring in people that's got, got... the problems, amen, the wounded, the bleeding. And uh, sometimes you've seen those doctors walk up and down the hall. They're not in a three-piece suit. They're not, they're not there uh, all together sometimes like we see them out in public many times. Sometimes they come and they've got evidences that they've been in a surgical operating room and they've been working on people, trying to save their life. Uh, Sometimes they've been there for hours and they're haggard because they're working on folks and they're trying, uh, working overtime to try to make sure somebody survives. Amen? Praise God. It's not always a beautiful sight. I'm going to tell you, somebody comes down to an altar and repents of their sin Maybe even they have to have the devil cast out of them. Amen. Do you think the devil, if, if they did it in the book of Acts, and, and I've, I've seen it a lot of times as an evangelist, had to cast the devil out of people. Well, you think the devil just all of a sudden took a vacation on all that stuff? You think he doesn't, he doesn't possess people's hearts and minds anymore? You think he doesn't do that stuff anymore, that we've got such dominion? No, no. I tell you what, he, he, he is more crafty now and more deceptive now and a lot more undetectable now to many. Praise the Lord. He manifests himself in different ways. He's, he may be more sophisticated, but he's still a devil. Praise the Lord. And he still has to be cast out. And people still have to get deliverance. And they still got to go down in a watery grave and get free from all that stuff. But there's nothing pretty about that person rolling around down in an altar trying to get free. There's nothing pretty about that agonizing and repentance and all of that stuff. But I'm going to tell you, there needs to be a church that's there cheering them on, saying, you know what, we'll get down and get sweaty with you. We'll do whatever it takes to pray you through the Holy Ghost. We'll help you. We'll minister to you because such were some of we. Lord God found us. Praise God. Amen. I'm thankful for God's mercy. one day in uh, Half Moon Bay which is just on the coast of California and there was this little Spanish boy with his daddy and he was saying papi, papi and uh, they were catching crabs boy he had a a big old crab put him in a bucket have you ever seen crabs in in a bucket sometimes you think you're going to get enough of them in there that they're going to start crawling around but if you'll watch them them crabs work against one another one finally starts getting up. Finally starts pulling himself up to the top, the rim. And, and that other one will reach up there and knock him down somehow. You don't have to worry about them. They're not going to get out because they work against one another. You know, it's kind of like some people's attitude. If I'm not blessed, you ain't going to be blessed. If I, God ain't answering my prayer, he ain't going to answer yours either. I'm going to make sure of it. If I can't get no victory, I'm going to make sure that I put a damper on your victory. 
Hey man, I'm going to pull you down. We need to get rid of that attitude. I said we need to get rid of that attitude. Pulling one another down. In Greek mythology, there was a Greek god. I believe it's called Xanthus. And uh, I may have that wrong, but you forgive me, I'm not Greek. Uh, anyway, he had a subject, a servant. It's called, uh, I think it was also. And uh, he... Uh, he asked him one afternoon, he said, to dinner tonight, he said, I want you to bring the most wonderful thing in the world to dinner with me. So wrapped up in a box, he brought this gift in and said, this is the most wonderful thing in the world. So somewhere in the festivities that night, the king opened the box and there was a tongue in the box. You know, that little red devil that lives behind the pearly gates. And uh, he said, this is the most wonderful thing. He said, yes, this is the most wonderful thing. He said, it has the ability to lift up. It has the ability to bless. It has the ability to offer hope. It has the ability to restore people's dreams and beliefs in themselves. It has the ability to bring hope to the hopeless. Tomorrow night to dinner. He said, I want you to bring the worst thing in the world. He said, Okay. So he brings the box. It looks about the same size. Opens it. He said, This is the worst thing in the world. He said, Yes, sir. He opens it up. Guess what it was? It's the same thing. He said, What do you mean? Last night you brought this, and he said you said it was the most wonderful thing in the world. He said, Yeah. It has power to be the most wonderful thing in the world. Or it can be the worst thing in the world because it can tear people down as well as lift people up. It can totally cause unbelief and doubt and despair in people's life. It can cause people to lose hope. It can push people into discouragement. David sought the moon, the ark, the Bible said that Saul, during his whole reign, never inquired of the ark of God. That's hard to believe, isn't it? I don't know if there was priestly sacrifices that were going on during this time. They were doing all the festivities, and they were doing all of the order of the tabernacle, but yet they did not have the most important thing in it. That was the mercy seat. He never inquired of it. He didn't have it. It was all just a sham. They were just having church, but they didn't have any presence of God. God, I don't want to have church and not have your presence, your blessing, your anointing upon us. I want to have his anointing, don't you, his presence here. And, and so David immediately, I mean, just within verses of becoming the king, what does he do? Immediately, immediately, he asks where the ark of the covenant to make plans to bring it. He didn't do everything right. Matter of fact, he took an old Philistine plan and they transported it back from the temple of Dagon back to where it was in the house of Eliezer. They put it on a cart, uh, pulled it with uh, cattle, a wooden cart. God said, that may work for the heathen, but that ain't going to work for you because this ark is to be placed on the priest's shoulders. 
there's a whole other message and meaning to all of that. But you know the story of how that when they got to the place of harvest, the Aiken's threshing floor, or Nakin's threshing floor, that he reached out, as it did, to study the ark and touched it. Touched the ark. Now, this is all supposition. But he touched the place ark where the law was to study when judgment came this morning one has to suppose if he had reached out and touched the mercy seat had he had lived I don't know it's all supposition but I have noticed the principle is here I have noticed that people that live their lives and they traffic in and they're absorbed with judgment 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 it's all they view their walk with God through is the lens of judgment. That's all they view other people in the church through is the lens of judgment. That's all they can think about is judging one another. When they need, you know, if he ever needed the mercy of God, he needed it at that moment. When they need mercy, they can't, they can't seem to find it. Thus the scripture, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I'm going to tell you, you get what you sow, you get what you invest, you get what you put out, and all of us are going to have a time when we need the mercies of God. So we need to be very careful about our dispensing of judgment and our parceling out of judgment. There needs to be a place of mercy in our lives. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me right now? Come on, let's just praise the Lord for just a moment. Would you praise the Lord with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I worship you, O oh God. Give thanks to you, O oh God. You're so wonderful. You're so faithful. You're so awesome to be praised. You're a great God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let this be a place of mercy, God. Let this be a house of mercy. There was a young lady who lived down in, uh, I think it was San Marcos, maybe San Antonio. Many years ago, she came from an abusive home. Her father had been very abusive to her mother. She said, I'll never marry anybody that would treat me like that or do that. And as it often happens, she married a person just like her father who was very abusive in her marriage. And she'd given birth to four children. He ran around on her, was unfaithful to her. And she was expecting her fifth child. She just found out she was expecting her fifth child, and he left her there with those four other children and then expecting a fifth child. She was in utter despair. She said she was ashamed to admit it, but she actually tried in her own her own abilities to abort this child. It failed. The child was born, a very beautiful child, raised, and uh, went on Several years passed, even decades passed. And this woman, this mother, 
storm came down with a rare kidney disease and needed a kidney transplant. There was no donors available. They tested several of the other children, but this fifth child is one that she almost aborted or attempted to abort. It was a perfect match. And she was able to she was able to receive a kidney and thus she was able to live because of the kidney transplant that was given to her from this child. And she stood before a group of doctors down in St. Marcus some months back. She stood before them and she said, the tears running down her face, she said, you need to be careful about what you abort in life or what you attempt to abort in life because it may come back and save you someday. You need to be careful how you handle yourself. You need to be careful about trafficking too much in judgment because you may need mercy someday. If you're thankful for mercy tonight, before we leave here, would you just lift your hands again and thank God for it? Oh, let's praise the Lord. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord Jesus. God, you're so good to me. You're so faithful, so merciful, so kind and so gracious. So wonderful you are in my life. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. I worship you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, let's clap our hands to him and give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. God bless you this evening.